When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Chris Harrington Mukigana, and joined alongside me to the north by northeast, Mr. Brandon Thurston. Brandon, how are you today? I'm good, Chris. How how are you? You ready to talk some WQ1? Yeah, WWE Q1 2017 earnings. Uh, I think this is around 10 years, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less of me covering WWE financial uh, uh, calls. Because I, I know back in the early 2000s, I, I transcribed a few, and so I was listening. And I moved to Minnesota in 2006, and so I kind of feel like that's when I got deep, deep into doing WrestleNomics-type cover financial stuff because uh, I didn't know a lot of people here. So, you know, <laughs> what better way to run people off than to pursue <laughs> true efforts? So um, we had a no, call. This yes. be, this is, I've, I've only been following it, uh, I would say, the start of the WWE Network. That's when I, I started reading a lot of your stuff and, and actually listing the calls and trying to make sense of the reports and stuff. Well, it, You're way it, ahead of me. It's, it's pros and cons. Like the old days, you used to get monthly KPIs, which mean, meant we could see kind of yeah. the real-time pay-per-view changes, even like the changes of, of the numbers from what they first said to where they would land. And we used to get the monthly uh, attendance. We used to get monthly ratings. We used to get um, lots of other little you know, and, and they only stopped doing that within the last year or so. Yeah, so then the network came out, and I think as soon as they released that low number, that 667287, uh, which you know is like burned into my mind of WWE mm-hmm. Network uh, after WrestleMania, uh, I think that's when they suddenly realized, oh crap, we are, if we do monthly KPIs and we don't talk about network subs, people are going to freak out. But if we do talk about network subs, people are going to freak out. So they, they went to this quarterly model, and we lost all the kind of clarity and insight. And so it's it's fun because these calls can range from incredibly minute little details to really interesting broad strategic questions. And Q1 is exciting because we just had the Business Partner Summit. We talked about that on our last show, which you can always hear over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Um and then this show, you get the WWE Network number already. And so coming into Q1 results, it's not always a shocker what the network's going to be at. 
But it's a lot about, you know, WrestleMania is over and the rest of the year is coming up. And it can feel funny that you're in May and you're talking about March's results. But uh, what was your impression of the call in terms of upbeat, not upbeat, uh, normal or abnormal? Well, and, and in terms of like hardcore finances, I guess the they're going to have to make up a, a lot of OIBDA to, to get to 100, but they still predict that they are going to get to $100 million in OIBDA by the end of 2017. Adjusted um, OIBDA. Adju- excuse me, adjusted OIBDA. And let's, for anyone uh, listening who doesn't know the difference, uh, OIBDA is operating income before depreciation and amortization. Uh, profit is probably a, a, a term that could be somewhat similar. We call it adjusted OIBDA because WWE likes to throw certain things out and say, this doesn't count as part of my OIBDA. For instance, they didn't like to count certain legal expenses. They didn't like to count film impairments. So instead of the WWE Network uh, segment losing uh, several million dollars, they're able to say it, it barely lost any money at all because they like to say, we don't count those film impairments. So uh, they, they say adjusted OIBDA. But again, they're trying to hit $100 million for the year. It would be, in their mind, uh, the highest number ever. For sure, it'd be the highest number ever. I don't know if you took out the XFL profits on the Attitude Era, if it would still beat that number or not. But um, I say profits. I, sh- I really should say XFL costs. Um, but in general, it is a high watermark for them. It's a big promise they're making. And if you were to ever say, what is WWE's big core mission? It's not put smiles on people's faces. It's deliver $100 million of profit by the end of this year. Absolutely. So, so besides... That that point that they're they're gonna have to make up a lot of weed to to get to the goal that they say they're gonna get to. Um, I, I got the impression that you know this is the first I think full quarter Q1 is the first full quarter that we've got the brand split going because at least in terms of house shows being split, obviously Q4 would have had you know the brand split. Uh, for, for the entire quarter as well. But now I, we're at the point where now the house show tours are really split in the SmackDown. You know, people have got their house shows and the raw people got theirs. Um, and and what what I saw was the uh, they're running more shows than ever. The average attendance is about the same because they're running more shows than ever. The total attendance for this quarter is is the highest that that I could find. I went back into some of the documents that we've scraped up through web archive and whatnot, which go back to about 2008. And this is the quarter with the highest total attendance. Um, that said, like when you say ahead. that, let's let's be clear. You're taking out WrestleMania from the attendance I'm, number, correct? Yes. But for this, for all, for that entire period that I'm comparing it to from yeah. 2008 to the present, yeah. So, but it doesn't compare a Royal Rumble number every single January of all those years. And this year's Royal Rumble number, we right. know, was somewhere in the 40,000 to 50,000 range, which does heavily impact. I thought Dave Meltzer made a good point in the Observer this month to say. Hey, if you took that out and you you subtracted it out, maybe house shows are down to 5,600 or 5,700. But we're still looking at a a quarter where they ran 91 main brand house shows compared to, I think, 19 last last quarter. So whatever that would be, 72, something like that. And that's a huge increase in North American house shows. Yeah, none of this concludes NXT, by the way, if anybody's wondering. And that goes for whether we're talking the Florida little house shows or the bigger ones that go national and worldwide yeah the um, only so one i'm a the, little dubious yeah. on is they might include the takeover special i'm not clear on if they're throwing that one out or not i would think they would have to it's an nxt show you'd think so you... but <laughs> this is wwe math this is uh <laughs> this this knows no bounds or or controls over what's happening 
Uh, Ginger Mahal is our number one contender right now. On, on the, so all, logic is out the window. But uh, you're yeah. right. It was $32 million of revenue on live events this year. A year ago, it was only $25 million. Um, on Obada for live events, it was up uh, 8.1 versus 6.1. Uh, what really struck me was the network number was up 118.6 million and again the the they call it the media division um the network number was just 46 and a half million compared to 40.3 million but the operating income and the uh obita on that was actually down for the quarter and i thought that was intriguing because both this year and last year had free wrestlemania both this year and last year had wrestlemania in q2 and yet uh that cost of all those free subs that they're carrying on the network and also the enhanced marketing and also the enhanced network programming costs are actually beginning to hurt WWE in the sense that they're actually less profitable as a percentage of revenue than they were even a year, uh, a year ago. And so this network continues to grow top line, but not necessarily bottom line. Yeah. I mean, the network, I, one of the big things I got, you know, out of the network was I think Vince McMahon said that, um, you know, we we got you know, he's doing the highlights. We got this many you know people paid and, and some of these free, almost two million total. So it sounds like he they did set that as a goal to get to two million free and paid uh, by WrestleMania. They didn't quite make it. Um, we usually get sometimes you get these snippets at the beginning of those calls where Vince will be honest. Vince is incredibly honest in the calls. I think that's always – I've said it before. The um, investors can overreact to Vince McMahon being so honest. And it's, um, I think, striking yeah. for wrestling fans to hear him you know, kind of say this worked, this didn't work. But just like you said, the goal to hit $2 million was um, clearly something that they were going for. And the fact that they didn't hit it there, I don't think heads were going to roll because, uh, if anything, I felt like – you know. We're really firmly in that grasp of the George and Michelle and Vince show and the fact that Stephanie McMahon is never on these calls and the fact that Paul Levesque is never on these calls says a lot about kind of the corporate yeah. structure of what's happening here. Like, one of the things I wrote about, I don't know if, you want to, if I'm getting ahead here, we're talking about the, the, uh, the conference call itself, but I got the impression listening to it, and I've sort of felt this way before, listening to just when it was just Berrios and Vince, but you know, listening to it's Berrios and Michelle Wilson – and Vince, and you get kind of, I got, get the feel that it's sort of a, an old time wrestling thing where you got, here's, here's the booker who, you know, books the storylines and deals with all the talent and everything. And then here you've got the, the, the business promoter, you know, who got, who really runs the show and makes the real hardcore business decisions. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I always love, cause Vince is the consummate promoter on these calls. I remember one time George Berrios referred to something as 500 million. And Vince immediately said, I would have said half a billion. Uh, <laughs> and it's the just promoter like, in me wants, I think that was over social media followers. Yeah. The promoter in me wants to say half a billion. And so I just always love those kind of, you, you see those snippets of Vince the boss, where you can really say, this ties out to the caricature that is painted online of him, of, be, of the demanding and, and kind of idiosyncratic. But at the same time, you know, he's got that eye and that ear that says, what would play in my mind? Um, every time, the highlight of the call is not really the financial results because the financial results are released by 8 a.m. Uh, my time, I guess 9 p.m., 9 a.m. your time. Uh, and then we have almost two hours to digest them. The the yeah. the, the highlight is always the Q&A. And I thought compared to most Q&As, this Q&A was one of the least um, financially – uh, 
inside baseball. You know, it was it had the least amount of financial mumbo jumbo and the most kind of content around what are you guys doing about blank and what's your thought on the strategy of blank, and and the questions that were rather interesting in my mind. What did you think compared to some of the other calls you've listened to? Yeah, I would agree with that. It was it was a very the, the content ooh, the content of of the call was very digestible to somebody who's not engrossed in finance, which would include me. I, I don't, you know, always understand what they're talking about. Or even even on this call, Laura Martin threw out this this acronym TAM, which yeah. I had to Google. Total addressable you know? market. Yeah, that was. That, yeah. I'm glad you looked that one up too, because I would not have known that. I would have thought of. I think there's like a little cookie uh, that is called the TAM cookies that is out there from my yeah. grocery retail days. Uh, so I wanted to break down some of these kind of Q&A sessions here because uh, I thought that was the most interesting part. And I know somebody online said, I wish there was running commentary going on in this Q&A. And I just thought how much talking that would be if, you know, you were listening to the call and live streaming it on YouTube and giving your content and your thought on it at the same time uh, would be a little too much. But the first question came, came from Brandon Ross, BTIG, um, a guy that uh, – has really brought himself up in stature here as someone who who pays attention and is interested in the WWE. Um, and he first thing he, he kind of reached out and mentioned was the targeting of consumers with analytics for custom offers. And this is something I've mentioned on my Twitter before, uh, at Mookie Ghana, unverified, but true. It is still me, I promise. Um, that You, you need getting... a parody account so that they'll <laughs> have a, a reason to, to uh, verify you. So one thing that is we'll have someone uh, WWE should get behind that. They should, uh, you know, adopt someone from their social media department to to do an impersonator movie gone on Twitter with all these, you know, false results that mislead the internet. You know, if we weren't co-hosting this show, I think someone would have accused you of being a in, in, uh, fake Mookie Ghana, for all I know. Uh, Western yeah. New York guy shows up and says that he's into WWE financials. Uh, yeah, I said, I said it myself. I've, I've been ripping off ever since. <laughs> but um. With this call, I've been getting emails lately, and they've been very 80-centric. So today I got one about uh, Bobby Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon are back, check out Primetime Wrestling. And I've been getting a lot of kind of like older fan emails. And I wonder if other people are getting completely different targeted emails. Because um, I, I do get the normal ones, but I, I also wonder, are they really changing their metric in terms of who they're reaching out to? Uh, and and targeting it very much different based on you know whether it's a man or a woman or their age of there for the winback offers and that was what Brandon's question was and basically Michelle Wilson basically said yes we're doing specific offers for the winback front and we're trying to do custom messaging and we're paying a lot of attention to what people are watching and they've said that for a while but uh, I I'm always intrigued by this WWE Network uh, analytics department and I'm really curious if we're ever going to see some tangible results that they really credit to. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I haven't. I, I have trouble wrapping my mind around like customized marketing. Like, what does that look like? I, but that's that's probably what they're talking about there. Maybe things like that, where they're taking your demographic and and sending certain messages. You know, maybe an older fan's getting something about Bobby Heenan. Maybe younger people are. I'm looking. I'm looking at my John promotions Cena, tab. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at my promotions tab in my Gmail. I've got uh, something from the W Network saying were the Hardy Boys able to retain the title. So maybe maybe I'm in the younger bracket, Chris. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the next question was about churn, um, and Brandon basically said, I noticed churn was down. When he said churn was down, what he really meant was uh, churn as a percentage of total subscriptions was down. Because churn was 366,000 people uh, compared to 358 a year ago and 284 the year before that. 
Uh, and so it's intriguing by the fact that we're still in this 350,000 people a quarter give up on the network. Next quarter, uh, it, it tends to be almost half a billion uh, people. Uh, and then even in Q3 and Q4, it still is in the 400,000 range. Uh, and so, yes, as a percentage of people, it's it's down, but as a total number of people, it's very steady, which has always brought up those questions of, is it just people gaming the system? Is it people who are just naturally leaving it, this and this coming and going? Uh, did you have any thoughts on the churn question or the, the churn in general? I, I don't think too much of the churn. I, I don't know. I think when you've got a technology that's new, uh, there are, are still going to be a lot of new users. Is it people gaming the system though to an extent? I'm sure. I don't know to what extent. Um, well, all you all you really got to do is create a new email, so it's not that difficult, you know. And it's not that difficult to share your password with somebody either. So I'm sure there's a lot of that going on as well. But the, the I, I don't see it as a huge sharing, deal. The password sharing would not affect churn. In this no, that's a, no. But no, you're right. A, it, it, unrelated, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next question also from Brandon was about China and India, and uh, he basically said. Do you think bringing the network to China is actually a possibility? And uh, having spoken to other investors, uh, I will say that what you might hear on the call from them and what they actually think in their own heart of hearts don't always align one to one. And so I do think that there is a lot of skepticism in the media marketplace about whether or not WWE can ever actually launch a WWE network in China. That said, they did make some more deals with PPTV. They, they uh, George Barrios talked all about his excitement of, you know, WrestleMania being in Mandarin and being available there. And of course, he had to throw in WrestleMania was the first sporting event offered on pay-per-view in China. So we've knocked two countries off the list, meaning the US and China with WrestleMania 1 was in his mind. Though I think Mike Sempervivi would probably challenge whether or not the very first pay-per-view of all time was really uh, WrestleMania 1. But um, the, the the concept of China and India, do you think that's going to be the new drinking game that every month we're just or every quarter we're just going to uh, count down to who's going to ask that question first? I think so, and it, it, it really should be. I mean, th those are two countries with over a billion people in them, and, you know, it, it can... Uh, it, it would be dumb not to to try to break into those countries. I think I, I said last time. I think as we go forward, we're just going to see a WWE that's more and more international. It's going to recruit. They're going to recruit and recruit until they find somebody who's a you know a Chinese big superstar or an, an Indian superstar, and they're going to try to do things like they're they're doing with Jinder Mahal to uh, maybe spark some interest there. Um, that said, yeah. they're still seventy four percent domestic, and when I say domestic, I don't even mean Canada. I mean just the United States and WWE Network subs. So while they might have 80% consumption outside of the U.S. on their video streams, 70-plus percent of the people actually paying the bills on WWE Network are WWE U.S. subscribers. Uh, the yep. majority of the people who generate the TV rights money are still U.S. subscribers coming from those, those fees from NBCU. And so I, I always think that maybe we're jumping too fast into the train of, uh, international will bail us out. International will be our new marketplace because I'm not well, convinced that this change is happening as fast as they want, especially when they can't allocate the live event resources to actually well, hit these it's, marketplaces. It's better to be there early than – I mean are they really is – it, is it that big of a money investment? Are they putting up all this money to, to engage with these markets? You know? Yes and no. 
I, I agree with you on that front, which is why not play the world if you have the world's resources? I will say I think everything that distracts WWE from its core mission um, is a risk to their ability to execute it well. And the fact that they have such a limited management team that they allow to kind of make big decisions. Sometimes I worry about, you know, is George just so focused on making India win that he would sacrifice Mexico, which would probably be a marketplace that could make a lot more money faster and sooner. Their core mission, by the way, which is to put smiles on people's faces. Put smiles all over <laughs> people's faces. Uh, and there's only one way you can do that, and that's to let people watch your programs. And with TV renewal timing, Daniel Moore, CGS Securities wasn't there, uh, so uh, Lee stepped in uh, and then basically asked, can you remind us of the renewal date? And he said, yep, our domestic deal uh, expires at the end of third quarter of, of 2019, and then the two other deals, the UK and the India deal, expire at the end of 2019. We have not been public on the negotiating timeline thing. We're not going to be. So uh, uh, almost a we're not going to get into that level of granularity. But um, specifics uh, from George, which I think they've learned their lesson from the last go around on the TV rights deals, which is they have to be um, open and honest about what the negotiating timelines are a little bit. Because last time they got pretty burned when they said, we think we're going to have a deal done by December. And then come January, February, they didn't have a deal done. And it made them look really, really foolish. So at least they're they're playing the cards a little bit safer this time. Um, what did strike me, though, is you should be talking about your renewal deal today, and hopefully they are. It doesn't seem like when you and I think about it, what's going to happen in two years really matters, but uh, just kind of thinking about it and talking to people who know this sort of thing, they really stress to me that if you're in the TV rights renewal business, you are making those deals today because it's so hard to get time with these people and scheduling with these people, and you have to oftentimes kind of secure these deals a year, year and a half out, and you'd never want to be left holding the bag. You always want to go when the, the money's hot. And uh, if anything we know about the TV rights deal right now is that uh, you're probably better the further away you are from 2019 to securing some good money versus uh, where what the world's really going to look like in 2019, in my mind. Yeah, you think that TV rights fees for, for live or for programming in general is going to be lower by, like, after 2019 or you know shortly before it i think it's going to be harder to to guarantee these big money deals the way that people have mm -hmm. i do also think that there is an element where wwe's words might come to hurt themselves so later on in one of these questions they kind of seem to play off the idea that as long as people are watching ad supported uh video they don't care if they watch their television programming and right. I do think that if you're a TV rights payer, these sort of phrases from WWE have to, to stick in your craw a little bit, uh, that you, you hear them kind of dismissing the value of, of traditional television as a medium. And I do think that the more of this that's going to build up over the next couple of years here, you might eventually make hit that breaking point where one of these bigwigs just says, I don't want to deal with this person. I don't want to deal with someone like that. <laughs> and, you know, that's yeah. what happened in the Viacom deal. People forget is the reason they got kicked out of Spike is essentially they played hardball and they were, and they basically said, we are cutting off negotiations with WWE and WWE had to come crawling back to USA. And that's when they gave up all their advertising revenue. And I think it's it's not a fact that, you know, they, they didn't – the WWE Network when it launched, that was a shock to a lot of the people in the television industry who felt they were cannibalizing this pay-per-view business that they were capitalizing on previously. So I think WWE has hurt some bridges in the past. 
I wouldn't say burned, but but definitely damaged them. And uh, to me, the longer you keep up with this rhetoric, I don't know if it's playing hardball as much as at some point someone might just kind of turn their back to you. Yeah, I mean, I I'm kind of drinking the, the George Burials Kool Aid when he says though that you know going forward we don't really know what it's going to be like, but you know, I think one of the things to consider is that you know in, in the future live content will become even more important because we see scripted programming. Those are programs that you can watch on your OTT service or through DVR, and it's live programming that attracts a lot of viewers and, and keep and gets them to watch it live as it happens and not, not after the fact. And but whether that's going to offset the decline in ratings and offset you know the, the kind of WWE swagger that you're talking about, you know, who knows? In a couple of years to see. But I would always say that good programming attracts audiences. That's that's what attracts an audience. Better Call Saul and Walking Dead get good ratings and get good audiences, not because they're live, but because they're interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, and WWE has a great opportunity to be to be both, but it's only yes, one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's whatever one is hot at the time. That's that's the reality. Is you know when they they say who is our competitors, they say it's all scripted entertainment. Until you know that's not a good good comparison for them. Uh, but we, we move on to WWE Network tiers, where there was a question that said, any updates for tiering the product? And they basically said, we're going to research. We have no specific timetable. Let's talk about tiers. What do you think a WWE tier would look like uh, on the network? We saw the, the surveys that they put out before, and there was speculation because of those surveys that, well, maybe there would be a tier that would include indie content so i know they were you know they were asking about tna and ring of honor and i think i think various other indies that i would call super indies um maybe that but i i I mean that's something that that could happen i don't think that's really going to be the thing that happens i think if if or when we see tiering um i think one of the things that barrios talks about toward i think towards the end of this q a is about how you know Someday we really see everything in the ecosystem on the WWE Network, and he, you know, and he really made it sound. And he was talking about that in in the context of the three to four million subscriber goal too. Um, but I think I, I think anyway, if we see tiers on the network, it's, it's going to be you know it'll be a, a, an ideal point to bring it out when you're going to put new content like Raw and SmackDown on the network. But I guess we'll get to that when we get to that question. Well, I think that's a good point. So yes, there is that that question of. If you can deliver the absolute first-rate programming, do you put it on a premium tier? That's a very interesting launch point. It's the the, the WrestleMania philosophy, right? We're going to launch a WWE Network. We're going to put WrestleMania on it. It makes it a, a special attraction so people feel it's worth paying for. The, the question about indie content, we know from our surveys of affinity, from what you and I have looked at, from Flow Slam, from New Japan World, from all these other people that have played in the space – that there's an interest in this, but there's not a massive group of people that is going out there to spend their money on it. And so what they would get and what they could offer, you know, I could see them putting the old British wrestling, you know, ICW or whatever, the the feds that they made deals with, because they have that content, and then it's a way to make it seem like it's premium, but it's not something that they care about. Uh, I do agree with you that putting Raw or SmackDown would make a lot of sense. There's also the idea of kind of the free tier where you offer a few hours of content or maybe just the live stream, but not including pay-per-views and things of that nature. And then you do an ad-supported video model. Uh, what would be interesting, though, is what is that you know elevated tier? What's in that? And 
from what we've seen, their solution to everything. Ballot. Yeah. Hall of Fame ballot, WrestleMania tickets. Yeah. I mean, there's that. Yeah. And and that's kind of goes to the idea of what we've seen them go to time and time again is more, 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 more for the same people. I'm not convinced that they are actually increasing their TAM there uh, of people <laughs> as much as they are super serving the same people more and more content over and over again. And, you know, I love Velocity, I love my Jacked, I loved my uh, uh, WCW Pro, but I also know that that's not going to make the difference either. So uh, it would be interesting to see what that is uh, in the future. And to me, a lot of that might have to come with a real partnership with an external vendor, you know, a, a, a MLB Plus type subscription where you get sports content or something else. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, free trial conversion rates. Um, the the, the analysts seem to be in, inferring that they are getting some good results from these free trials. I will always challenge them that they have yet to ever show us any data telling us exactly how these free trials work beyond saying, look at how we're growing quarter over quarter, year over year. So uh, it's really hard for us to actually be able to understand if free trial conversion rates are working or not. Would you agree? Um, yeah, because we don't know. We don't – they never – tell us what the conversion rate is. And I know, you know, analysts will ask about that, you know, call after call. It seems like they always say they, they didn't, you know, they don't want to get into it. Um, and that was really the, the demand is say, hey, you're going to do a free WrestleMania. Can you tell us in December how many people are still around? And, you know, I ran a whole bunch of numbers trying to guess what the conversion rates were based on, right. on historical numbers. And what it really said to me is domestically it would work. And then internationally I was actually getting kind of a – a negative number on terms of conversion rates. And so it was really hard to kind of break it out piece by piece. I think until they ever break down and actually can give us some sub numbers by country, it's going to be really hard for us to really understand the growth and the, the pushes and the pulls on this. Uh, moving on to international targets. Uh, there was a lot of questions again about India. And at, like you said, George mentioned, basically, we got a great start in India and in the Middle East, in Latin America, in the UK, Western Europe. They just started their own kind of wraparound show in on OSN in the Middle East uh, this this week in for WWE, which is similar to, you know, kind of a talking smack, but imagine a localized version of it for OSN. Um, and so they're, they're doing some interesting localization, but all that costs money, essentially, and investment uh, with these partners here. And so we are continuing to see uh, content costs going up and up and up. And there's the next question about the UK Weekly Show. And they just said, you know, we're still looking at talent and, and thinking about it. Um, with this UK show, will you always think of it as a weekly show that would be on 52 weeks a year? Or were you thinking of it more of, a, of another kind of mini tournament or taping schedule? I, I would think they would do it. I guess I would... When they, had, you know, there's been talk about doing it in the first place. I, I, I could see doing it like in seasons, maybe like sort of you know, how Lucha Underground is, where you, you know, tape it for a few months and, and and air it for a few months and then stop and then go again. Um, just it, because you you'd have to go to, you you'd have to you know have people go to the UK so regularly to tape it if you're going to do it year round. Would it be like the uh, NXT season that ended up lasting like 65 weeks and uh, transferring from from being you know live to uh, a pre-show WWE.com thing or something? But yeah, that I think right. that's really interesting to me. And you know what they also said is that we're focused on the women's tournament, the 32 women women's tournament, and uh, I think that will be another neat kind of 
milestone for them because it obviously does garner a lot of attention and interest when they run these things. But I I also do always wonder about what's the follow-up exactly supposed to be because Tyler Bates' strength as a, you know, to the casual fan, it went up and I would say it's gone down, right? You know, I kind of feel like we missed that ability to strike while the iron was hot. Yeah, I mean, like, it's really hard to decipher what's in the bubble and what's not. Like, I know, you know, people that I know and talk to, and then when I read Twitter, I know everybody was, was really into that tournament, uh, but I don't have a great feel for how many of their network subscribers were watching it. You know, if, if you put Tyler Bate out, you know, on, on Raw, how many people would recognize him? Um, and, and that's what shocked me is that they wasn't a capitalization on that, which is like, Noam Dar, love him or hate him, I would still argue Tyler Bate is a bigger star than Noam Dar because at least, you know, one of them won this big tournament and, you know, there was this interesting kind of presence to him. And the other is a guy who's part of a division in a feud with Alicia Fox. And you won't find many Alicia Fox defenders bigger than me. But still, I have to admit <laughs> that, that it's just not that interesting of a, uh, a, a spot to be in. So it, oh, no. it's just intriguing to me that they haven't followed up majorly with that. And so it's funny to put all these guys kind of in this half, you know, uh, half a foot in the WWE bucket, half of the foot not. uh, Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the the WWE creative situation. It's like, you know, I can't explain the things that they do. We we can't sit here and, you know, there's there's a a thousand podcasts that try to explain the things that Vince McMahon does creatively. I, I, who knows why. But that's what's fascinating to me is to say, is it cart of the horse? when it comes to some of the stuff and and that's the big question that came out of this at the very end which was about you know gender in india and you know this justification that somehow putting gender as the number one contender on the smackdown brand might be possibly a nod towards the indian marketplace and it's like did that idea come from corporate did that idea come from the writers did that idea come from you know uh jinder mahal's magic uh rob conway uh tanning salon uh, fluid that made his body bulk up what what drove this you know magic uh thing and so it's fascinating to me to say is it is it corporate reacting to the fact that creative has taken this decision or is it really a decision that was driven by corporate saying here's well, a strategy i think you know vince obviously works with with barrios and talks to him quite a bit so he knows he knows what the deal is with india so i think it was just a factor and everything is ultimately vince's decision and he probably made it with with that as a as a factor in mind i agree i agree um major milestones for wwe network uh why don't you take this one in terms of what did george say was his big milestone coming up the the, the milestone to reach three to four million subscribers yeah right and what i love is the analysts even said looks like you're trending towards 1.7 1.7 you're gliding towards 1.8 yeah so Three to four million subscribers is something that they've put in their investor slides for a while now, and I, I haven't seen it in, in their in one of their PowerPoint presentations in in a I don't know in about the last year or so, um, and I hadn't heard Barrios talk about it in, in the talks that we hear him give you know every, you know a few times every year, so I was wondering if maybe they're tr- you know quietly trying to drop this this three to four million sub goal, um, but the question was asked uh, yesterday and. You know, the, the answer was, yeah, they're still going to do three or four million. You know, they're still going to try to get to three, three or four million subscribers. And I think that this, if they ever get there, uh, it's going to be with a WWE network that doesn't look like the WWE network that we know today, I think, in terms of 
in, in terms of mostly Raw and SmackDown, in terms of the flagship regular TV content being there. I think if they, if they can get to that number, it's going to be a day where the media landscape is even more different than it is today. And uh, they do tiering. And uh, so then you've got between all the different pay levels, maybe they get to three to four million. And because that's that's the chief way to follow WWE. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Maybe they'll just be on traditional TV indefinitely. But uh, but if, if it's going to get to three or four million subscribers, I can't see uh, what other way that's going to happen. Uh, you know, barring, of course, actually creating, you know, a, a really big star or two. One thing that always strikes me when you listen to these calls is that whatever the analyst's um, wheelhouse is, that's how they interpret what WWE is. There's really, you know, there's no Melter on the call who says, I'm a big wrestling historian who's understanded media markets and the, the transformation of, of professional wrestling as an entertainment forum. Instead, it's people who are either, I'm a streaming analyst or I'm a live company stock or we used to have a guy on who's obsessed about DVD sales every quarter. And so yeah. uh, this next question was about inflection points for the WWE Network. And um, George started talking about Netflix. And it's similar to when they started preaching to everybody at the business summit about what is it like to be a millennial, where I kind of feel like most of these people, if they're sophisticated people, they should know this already. And so I really feel like sometimes when you start talking Netflix, you go down a rabbit hole because Netflix is so much and has changed so much over the last 10 years that it's really easy to be like, look, Netflix is, is up towards, you know, they wanted to hit 60 to 90 and they're two thirds of the way there, million people in the, the world and it, or in the US and it's going to be great. But what you're leaving out is all kind of the machinations of how Netflix has transformed where, you know, now you see them heavily investing in original programming versus buying rights of things. Now you see them doing, you know, lots of micro-targeting. And moreover, one of the biggest things that Netflix has struggled with is running out of people to give the network, the Netflix to that are willing to pay for it. Where it was something like one half of all people over median income in the U.S. have a Netflix subscription. So what's left is only the, the poor people. And then you're, you're left with this question of, do you have to tier it differently for them? Do you have to create a different model for them? How do you get those kind of people to subscribe or how do you raise the price on the other people? And it's easy, I think, sometimes just to say, look at Netflix. They're doing great. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing, but I think it's a lot more sophisticated. And I always feel that WWE is running into a rat hole when they try to compare themselves to Netflix because a lot of the people they're talking to are very sophisticated analysts who have watched Netflix for many, many, many years. So what you're saying is that the people that Netflix can't capture as subscribers are basically WWE's audience. It's a possibility. You know, it's that's why I say yeah. the tiers, you know, when we talk about why does Netflix have tiers, part of it might be because they're aiming for different income demographics than them, what they're able to get right now because they've expired them out versus WWE, which, you know, maybe it's not so much that people that are higher income are refusing to WWE Network subscribers as much as they just don't feel an interest in it based on what they can get today. Isn't Netflix offered at multiple price points? They are because I they basically were, were slowing okay. down and they were building to ac okay. acquire new people. So they reached okay. that point. And so I can see why tiers are a uh, – it's a point of sophistication and maturation of a business model. And so yeah, we think of it well, as – One screen for, for $7.99, two screens for $9.99, four screens for $11.99. And then HD and all yeah, that. And yeah, and different levels of HD as you get up, up in the premium. 
And if, if anyone else doesn't know, if you ever travel abroad, bring your Netflix subscription with you on your iPad. You will get the local Netflix, and uh, it's always better. Uh, Canada's awesome. Canada's like HBO. Denmark, not so great, but interesting. Interesting. Uh, just just a little uh, a tidbit there from uh, Mukigana. It's an Easter egg. Yeah, a little Easter egg. Go, uh, go to Denmark to find out. <laughs> uh, bringing women into wrestling. This was fascinating because we had Laura Martin, who I have uh, I have a begrudging respect for Laura. Uh, when this all started, I, I had a, a, a kind of a low opinion of, of her as an analyst. And as I've listened to her over the last four years here, she's really grown on me, uh, mainly because of her most endearing trait, which is what, Brandon? Vince. She, <laughs> she stopped saying we. For the longest time, she'd say, great yes. results, guys. We so, did this. And somebody, Does she work for the company? Yeah, yeah. Well, someone said, well, if they want to invest a bunch of uh, institutional stuff with uh, her company, maybe she does. But um, no, she she asked an interesting question about women, and the result, real the uh, the phrase that Vince she, gave. Well, she didn't. She wasn't actually asking about women. Oh, she was. Never mind. Okay, it is. She well, was saying she, she said a lot of things. <laughs> she yeah. talked about the Tam. She talked about. Uh, but she said bringing more women into the wrestling world or going younger with NXT, and then Vince started talking about women as gatekeepers or uh, yeah. as content kind of regulators and i i was curious yeah. your he, thoughts on that you should have answer. seen my timeline when i tweeted that <laughs> did you get or, uh, what my mentions did you get the special um result i have which is i call like the women's wrestling slash total divas halo effect which is if you say anything with the word women and wwe in it you really? instantly get jumped on by all these random twitters so like i mentioned oh, wow. that I mentioned that uh, uh, another Easter egg from Mukiyama. Total Total Divas <laughs> uh, makes about six hundred and thirty thousand dollars in revenue per episode. Yeah. And then for the next like three hours, I just got people going Naomi oh, wow. Power. <laughs> <laughs> it was like gifts of like uh, you know the rack attack. And stuff. Or, or just like just, <laughs> just people will be like, when's Paige coming back? I'm like, what oh, is yeah. that? What are you? Well, you're, you're the insider now. Yeah, but it's it. There's a disproportionate reaction to things that involve total divas or women's wrestling. I find. Um, well, I think I think the reaction was that that you know, Vince, Vince's comment could have been interpreted that he was saying that w women are gatekeepers when when I think you know often female audiences feel like someone else is the gatekeeper to to that to that product or whatnot. Um, but I, I think what he was getting at here was that you know moms you gotta you gotta go through mom to to ask whether you're going to subscribe to the W network or, or whatever, if we're going to get tickets. Absolutely. And that was the way I took it as well. And which brings me to the, the, the profile section of uh, WrestleMonics radio, which is to say, Brandon, as a child, were you allowed to watch professional wrestling? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a, I had bad parents, I guess. Yes, I was. <laughs> My parents were never, never really supported the idea of watching professional wrestling. And I can yeah. remember for the longest time switching the channel if they came in the room when it was on, uh, which again during the Attitude Era that might be for the best. Uh, yeah, it, things things get get weird in the Attitude Era because you know you're like I, I I'm a little younger than you, so I was like 14, 13, like 14 years old or so during the Attitude Era. So it was really you know the the W was going through puberty at the same time. It's like, whoa, am I supposed to watch this? I'm gonna go but, in my room now. <laughs> but it. it you know, I, I would agree that, you know, it, it was a very long time before I was very 
much like I would like to spend money on a pay-per-view and, you know, kind of be like, here's the money I have earned and I'm going to buy a pay-per-view with this at my parents' house. Uh, Very few pay-per-view purchases, some, but but mostly like a couple WrestleManias. And like I grew up in the 90s and so there were only four or five pay-per-views a year anyway. But yeah, I... I, I have only got my parents to, to buy, I would say, maybe four or five pay-per-views like throughout the 90s. Um, well, that, 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 was, that ends the persona, personality profile of Russell Monarch Radio. <laughs> uh, performance center costs, uh, that was the next question. Uh, just kind of talking about how this, this segment continues to blossom and get bigger and bigger. And then Lisa, or Lisa, Laura, even asked, do you think you need to spend more on the performance center? And part of me just thought, what, for the next hundred people you're bringing in from Dubai and India and China? I mean... they got to they gotta set up a performance center on every continent. Yeah, it's it's just kind of shot. I mean, I, I think it goes back to, if you were to go back to the OVW days and be like, here's the budget we've got in mind for developmental. And Jim yeah. Cornette would be like, so I can have 30 different places in the country that I can run a company right now? Yeah, and then and somehow produced uh, Brock Lesnar, Batista, and Randy Orton. And Rob Conway. Oh, don't forget him. <laughs> and the Basham Brothers, baby. Um, <laughs> uh, Ron Smackdown ratings. I loved this. I uh, got to give it up to Curry Baker from Guggenheim Securities. Uh, specifically asking, what's going on with Raw ratings? And, and why is Smackdown up but Raw's down? And George's answer, uh, would you consider this to uh, be a Politico truthful or pants on fire? What What is that? What's What's a political truthful? What did you say? Oh, oh, just in terms of when they rate political candidates who make make outrageous claims uh, and say, is it truthful or pants on fire? Uh, I no, was, this I was, was this was pants on fire, man. Well, this was... indeterminate, but yeah, it wasn't a very truthful answer, especially just saying, "Hey, SmackDown wasn't live a year ago, and it was on a different day." And no, um, he, didn't, he didn't mention any of that. It um, wasn't a brand split. And... He he basically and he didn't mention anything about three hours. You know, he he just said that you know, uh, you know, we've got you know, first of all, we've got great talent, we've got great this this that, uh, a zillion hours. Everybody watches it all the time. But and then said, you know, uh, you know, sometimes one might be doing a little bit better than the other. That's all. Like the, this question was being asked in light of the the quarter, you know, the year over year quarter graph that you see in like page one of the, of the KPIs, where you see Raw's this quarter down ten Raw, percent and yeah, Smackdown Raw's down ten percent. Max Smackdown's up nine. The USA Network's down like five, and Top Cable's down something similar in, in the single digits. And so it looks like, man, SmackDown's really improving. And 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 in a certain sense, it, it, it is. Um, Smack, if, if they didn't do this brand split, this is sort of the thing I was uh, starting to talk about earlier, is that if they hadn't done this brand split, SmackDown would, would be declining as well. Raw would be declining. Maybe if you want to be generous at a, at a lesser rate than it is, but it would still be declining and SmackDown would be declining as well. So, you know, you, you put the two together and it's, it's preferable to be in a situation where SmackDown is doing well. And not um, only that, the fact that you can introduce so much more talent when you have two brands. For sure. And, so, and you can run a zillion house shows. And so just imagine, would a Nakamura and a Samoa Joe and a, yeah. you know, uh, 15 other people you can name. all Maybe AJ Styles up. coming up on SmackDown. Yeah. Um, social media, AVOD, does it cannibalize long-form viewing? Uh, Mike Hickey. Uh, from the Benchmark Company, basically said, my nine-year-old watches WWE on, on YouTube. 
uh, and has no interest in watching the network or your programming. Yeah, Isn't I can't, I can't get her to watch the network. <laughs> Isn't this a problem? And uh, that was rather funny because I thought that was like, wow, you perfectly encapsulated the entire social media debate in a very succinct way. And Michelle's basically – she talks about the crystal ball and saying, you know, we're not really worried if you cannibalize it one direction or the other direction because we care about people just watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about that? I debate it because I, I do feel like those are the kind of comments that burn bridges. But I know that yeah. – I, 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 I feel like this is, this is like I. the – yeah, this is like the India and China thing, although there's – you know, it's much easier to read what the money is that's involved. But I would rather be, I would rather pay the price of cannibalizing some of my platforms now so that I can engage these young people who are going to be my adult customers in the future. You know, where, because I don't want to be stuck in a situation, you know, 15 to 30 years from now where like, oh, we don't have as many adult fans because we weren't trying to engage them on the forms of media that they use. And, and that's very true. The, the Business Partner Summit talked a lot about the idea that we have to engage the next generation of viewers. And I think that's a very good point. And I'm glad that they're focused on it. My concern is I think there's a big difference between engagement and observation. Like there's things I watch on YouTube that I don't have an engagement in just because I watch it on YouTube. I watch it because it's free entertainment and I don't care about it versus television shows that I actually do invest in. And I do feel like there's a different level in investment, and maybe it's a cultural and generational thing. But, you know, if I go watch an, an annoying orange video on YouTube just to understand what it is, that doesn't mean that I've engaged that product and I care about it now. I probably still am indifferent to it, unlike, say, Rick and Morty, where I go out and I buy merchandise and I buy the board games and I watch, you know, I buy the seasons on Amazon and I'm very engaged. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree, but... At, at least you, you've got one foot in the door and maybe eventually we'll get you from being a, a passive, you know, observer to being an active, you know, money spending fan. I just wonder whether or not there's a lower bar to engagement these days where these people, because they're engaging so much social media and so much YouTube and whatnot, that they're spread very thin across all the different things and they're not really yeah. interested in all of them. And so the idea that you're somehow able to monetize that, I, I get that the idea is that it's a whack-a-mole game of you, you choose, you know, you're hoping that you choose the right one, but at the same time you wonder, would you be better off finding a different demographic or a different way to target certain things? Uh, which yeah, brings, I mean, us, brings us to the yeah, next one about esports, though. I thought that was a good example is the fact that we can't do a fantasy league for WWE always drives me nuts. It does. This is, this is with a video game, right? This is like a, a, a league. Explain this to me. Like there, it's a sports league where you play video games with each other. I assume that's the the actual kind of esports you're talking. I'm about. I'm supposed to be the younger and hipper one. Yeah, right? it's on TBS actually. If you watch it, and it's it's hilarious right. because it's. Well, not... see, I'm, I'm cord never, so I don't. Yeah, I don't... it's not good because it's they ask <laughs> people to cut promos on each other before they fight in Street Fighter, oh, wow. and they're not good. And part of me is just like. This feels like what the performance center should be. I was gonna say they need uh, a performance center. <laughs> uh, but you know there there is a a a value in it. And esports, you know, I've I've gone out and I've really tried to understand a lot of things. And esports is like my limit. Is <laughs> yeah. You know, I enjoy watching like retro gaming uh, uh, festivals or like speed speed runs and things like that. But I don't enjoy watching people just compete in general. You, you know, need to have a Kenny Omega or. A... 
Xavier Woods on to explain this. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's WrestleNomics' uh, uh, next uh, uh, key. There is to bring in uh, uh, these wrestlers who who understand it, and then they can tell me why I'm I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, family friendly programming. Talking about they they really crediting uh, I think Stephanie at one point here about you know making the brands more friendly. Uh, it's interesting talking family friendly because you know it doesn't feel like a talking point after all these Braun Strowman killing Roman Reigns uh, segments on Raw lately because we've seen a little blood, we've seen some pretty horrific violence in my book. Uh, would you agree or disagree? Uh, it... Yeah, I guess Roman it's Reigns no bleed. Ble- yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. But Roman Reigns did bleed from the mouth recently. Yeah. I guess it depends on what your what your threshold for violence is or what you know what you don't want your kids to watch, you know, in, in terms of how violent is too violent. I don't know. It's, it's pro wrestling. There's a quite a bit of violence to it inherently because you've got people slamming each other around throwing each other into things. So um, the last question came from Eric Katz, uh, Wells Fargo talking about localization and costs and things of that nature. And then um, kind of brought up the, the, I noticed that a, a Indian wrestler on the roster was getting a big push. Have you seen any changes in viewership in India since that push? Is that really yeah. something strategic, or am I reading too much into the topic? Uh, this was funny. General Hall was not, not named, but they were clearly – that's who they were referring to. Yeah. So George Barrio says, well, I think as you can imagine, WWE superstars are WWE superstars in every country of the world. John Cena is as popular in India and Middle East and Latin America and the U.S., However, we're all human beings, and there's a certain level of ethnocentrism mm-hmm. when a local character is really popular. It kind of pushes up in that country, maybe a little bit more, but we love the storyline and drive kind of who is hot or not, both one specific geography, but it certainly doesn't hurt in India. What was the feedback you got when you tweeted out the fact that he basically acknowledged ethnocentrism? Yeah, that, that was another trigger word. We got, we got some some quote quotes that you know such as what in the fuck uh, but that was not the best choice of words for sure yeah that, uh, that's that, not, that's that... not the way I would have put it um, <clears throat> maybe and... maybe um, lo- local pride or something like that yeah, yeah ethnocentrism was and... was his choice phrase and there's that interesting question of does gender being a jobber turn number one contender turned evil heel? Does that play in the country of origin or not? And right. it goes back to it, the stories we used to hear that Great Kali was this enormous Indian star because uh, they would play Great Kali matches on from SmackDown. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've caught you know not everything that Jinder Mahal has done on SmackDown with this you know since he's gotten this uh, into this feud with Randy Orton, but I've seen some of it. And the, the one thing I saw was where he was you know doing this big uh, you know xenophobic promo. So, like, if you're trying, if, if that is a factor in, in why they're giving him the push, is because he, he's of Indian descent. And if, you know, if, if the factor is that you want to, you know, get your Indian audience uh, more excited, why, why would you book this guy as a heel and, and, and show and, you know, stir up your, your domestic audience to boo him? That said, I will say, uh, again, let's bring it back to Denmark, as we always do. Um, yeah. I work with a lot of Danish people. And what they constantly say to me is, do you know this Dane is on this hockey team? Do you know this Dane is on this television show? Do you know this okay. Dane is in this movie? And it's hilarious to me that it has nothing to do with their interest in actual product. 
as much as it is just that a Danish person is famous in this other culture. And so sometimes I do wonder mm -hmm. if it's that element of people are just excited when someone from their hometown is made it big. And if your hometown is the entire country of a billion people of India, maybe that works for you. Yeah. And I, I, you know, they should do stuff like that. They should do it in the right way and in a right way that's better for their business and also doesn't like contribute and, you know, give people an outlet to like exercise their xenophobia towards somebody like Jinder Mahal. That said, let's all acknowledge that Jinder is a Canadian and uh, right. Canadians are the most polite people in the world. Um, he was very polite. I was, I was on a show with him a couple of times during while he was on the Indies. He was, he was very polite. So he did do Indies during his stint between WWE. Yeah, not, not uh, too high profile, but yeah. I, I was, was on them, so. <laughs> I, well, I was kind of going through a list of like all the uh, guys who you know, left WWE and just never did anything like Brad Maddox and uh, Alex Riley. And, you know, you have certain guys that just never did indies after they left the fed. And you have other guys who obviously ask for a lot of money like Ryback, but still get kind of steady work. And then you have, I, I don't know if Ryback's given that steady work. I haven't heard of him having a booking in, in a while, but true, true. Uh, but, and then you, you have that last, you know, demographic of uh, guys who once did a match in ECW, who are going to be able to trade on that name for the till till Kingdom Come, uh, yeah. the Danny Dorings and and Simon Diamonds and and whatnot of this world. Anyhow, um, I want to talk a little bit about this Hulu forty dollar uh, TV service. Run me down what this is, and is Mister Cord never finally going to get connected? Probably not. Um, so I, I looked into this today. So you you've got Hulu's. Uh, got a new service where you can actually watch live TV just as if you were watching it on your cable system. Um, as far as wrestling or even MMA fans are concerned, it includes USA Network. It includes E, so you can get your total divas and total bellas. It includes Pop, so you can get Impact, FS1 and FS2, where UFC is, and you've got your basic ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS. Um, there is no Access, no New Japan, and there's no El Rey for Lucha Underground. Um, you get... 50 hours of DVR storage. If you pay an extra 15, you can get 200. Uh, there's there's some premium options like Showtime, and you can get Hulu Plus for just four dollars. But that's the deal. So you you can get everything except for Access and El Rey. And then I was looking at well, how does this compare to Sling? You can get the orange uh, level of Sling for another twenty dollars a month, and you, then you can get Access and the El Rey network. So then you're talking like sixty bucks per month to you know to be a wrestling fan, they can watch every wrestling program that's on you know, US television. Um, I, and so I, I actually I actually got on with customer service for Time Warmer, Warmer Spectrum here in the Western New York area. And and I dealt with customer service to ask them, me as, as a, because I, I am their internet customer. You know, I have, I have cable internet. And so I asked them if I signed up for cable, how much would this cost me? And there's the $44 level, which doesn't include access or LRA. Then there's the $65 level, <clears throat> which does include it. So it's you'd save five bucks to do Hulu and Sling, I guess, versus cable. I'm not going to do any of this though, and I'll, I will just <laughs> car carry on doing whatever it is I do to watch the you know the wrestling that I do watch. I, I do have Hulu, the regular kind. I was trying to figure out why you would even need DVR storage anymore. You know, I haven't had a, a TiVo or DVR for almost a decade, and. It's like, right. if I want to watch something, I watch it on Hulu. The only reason you'd ever get DVR is if that you care about the local news 
or if you care about like uh, sports games, I guess. Sports ball. Yeah. And you would think if you got Hulu, well, I guess you're not necessarily paying the four four dollars for the Hulu Plus, but if you got Hulu, it's going to be available the next day on Hulu unless you're like you're just going to be a few hours late. Well, yeah, anyways. exactly. So it's just weird to me. Um, any follow-ups to the YouTube uh, is destroying professional wrestling story? I know David uh, Bixenspan wrote a motherboard story. Uh, it yeah. quoted Beyond Wrestling's Drew. Oh, I shouldn't have tried to say Cordero. There we Cordero. go. Yeah. No, it not too much. I mean, not, as far as the indies go, nothing new is really broken. They're all still making very little. Um, WB seems to be fine. Nobody asked about that on the conference call. So, I mean, we still still see ads with WB stuff. As far as I know, we we still don't see ads with um, with the indie stuff. If you go to YouTube, though, they've since I think probably since you know two weeks ago when we talked about this. Uh, their the YouTube interface looks a little bit different. And like the theater where you actually go and watch the videos looks a little bit different. And there's no more restricted mode. You know, there's no, the menu where the restricted mode option lived is gone. So I don't. It looks like maybe and maybe in response to all this whole blue they're they're going through. They maybe they've done away with restricted mode. Um, somebody knows better than me can correct me if I'm wrong about that. But I can't see it anymore. So it's not as if you can't search for the wrestling content. Um, maybe it's different when you log out, but that's that's what, what I was doing. I was experimenting around. Um, but yeah, restricted mode is gone, but you know the money is also still gone. It'll be interesting to see what the next what is the next gimmick for professional wrestlers to make money. Is it a, a Disney bucks? Is it a young young bucks share options? Maybe profit sharing. I don't. I don't know. I mean, the nice thing about being on the indies is you can merch yourself, and you get 100% of your, your merch stuff. What how, what merch can people buy of Brandon Thurston? You can get a Patriot Saints Professional Wrestling t-shirt if you go to uh, Maximum Force Wrestling and go on to New York tomorrow. I'll have uh, limited sizes left because these are selling you know really hot. So you know, come by the merch table, and I will uh, we'll, we'll discuss business. I talked to Luke Harper about it one time, and he struggled with how many fat guy shirts to make. Uh, do you make a yeah, lot of fat guy shirts? Do this, you not this make is a lot an of issue. fat guy shirts? This is, an, this is what I was told. So when I was first buying my own T-shirts to sell, you know, I was like, I would ask other wrestlers, be like, what kind of sizes, you know, what, you know what, what should I do for my order here as far as the size selection? And they're like, oh, yeah, you got to have, you know, get, make sure you get a lot of XLs, or 2XLs, and 3XLs. So I'm like, okay. okay. So I, you know, wrestling fans are fat. I'm like, oh, well, these guys are experienced, so I'll, I'll, I'll trust them. So I, I bought, like, you know, a bunch of big sizes, and they, they didn't really sell. Like, I have for my original order of T-shirts, the first, you know, T-shirts that I got made for myself, I've still got a couple, like, 3XLs or something like that laying around. But yeah, I, I I don't know. You get a lot of kids, though, too, especially when, when we're talking, like, lower-level indie wrestling. You know, it's a lot of kids and families, so those smalls and those mediums go, too. So remember that, guys. If you want an autographed 3XL <laughs> WrestleNomics Radio T-shirt, it is available right now. Yeah. Uh, one thing going on: Dubai tryouts. WWE held them uh, with a bunch of guys from Dubai, a bunch of guys from India. Um, we heard about a bunch of people that were participating. A lot of great colleague trainees, which sounds like you know a uh, an oxymoron, but uh, is a real thing. 
of all the people that Greg Cully's trained in, in. There's someone else actually doing the training, but it's like it's his name. Yeah, I figured as much. And and it was interesting, yeah. you know, naming all these people, and they had pictures of the different guys. Uh, one of them was Shanky Singh, who they said is about seven feet tall and probably weighs 103 pounds. Uh, looked like he was one of these super, super skinny tall guys. Uh, a, a couple women, actually, that looked like they might have some potential there. Uh, Davi Kavita uh, was a woman wrestler who, uh, at least the, the pictures I saw, she had a really good look, and I thought, wow, that would be a, a good one. A lot of bodybuilders, a couple kickboxers. This list, by the way, we extracted from uh, Casey Michaels' Twitter. Yeah, so, thank you thanks, very much, thanks to him. Casey Michaels. Uh, there's a James Garad, who's a U.K. guy. People are like, why is a U.K. guy in Dubai? Well, he runs a gym in Dubai is, is really his story. Some guys from Egypt, some models, um, and then people go to that Dubai pro wrestling that, you know, brings in Cody Rhodes and, and all the other big money guys every now and then. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting that, you know, they're, they're making a real go of it. And I know I had mentioned it in our last call. And go, again, this time, you know, they, they are definitely really into the idea that they're going to find a new star in this era. And I'd rather that they found, you know, they auditioned 100 people and they chose two rather than just take the first two that walked in their door. Yeah, well, they're going to, you know, it's like the developmental cliche that, you know, we're, we're going to have, you know, zillions of talents, but we only need one of you to be a star, you know. Um, there's a UK tryout coming up, too, in a week or two. Did you know that? I figure that's part of their U- UK tour. They uh, always seem right. to be getting a lot there. And, and it, it, they should do it. I mean, it's clear that the market is exploding right now. And uh, with just all the guys, you know, what's good and bad is that there's so many good UK guys that they had their claws in, they let go, they brought back. And it's clear they want to mess a little bit with, you know, the ITV tapings and the other tapings that are going on there. But, um, yeah. you know, hopefully on the undercars of all these other shows with these explosions, we're actually seeing some guys really develop and, and make their way up the card and, and show that potential that they need to show. So uh, more power. Yeah, just, to get, just to get to- totally, just to get totally sidetracked. Like, what do you, what do you think of there's rumors of ICW in progress having deals with WWE to some extent? I think I loved the fact that uh, a lot of people said, I really wish these guys would go back and read 80s history. Because you can find yeah. reports from 1983 where it's about, hey, WWF is is kind enough to send its tapes to the marketplaces here. They're really interested in seeing your marketplace television. Yeah. Um, I, I do think at a certain point, though, you know, it's like if you're a small manufacturer of something or if you if you write a book or something and you're like, well, Barnes and Noble will carry it, but they want to, you know, list price it at this. Or if you carry something, you want to get Walmart. You know, you have to bend to their will, and you have to be afraid sometimes that, you know, it's tough to be artisanal, be an artisanal wrestler in this day and age. So uh, I'm not surprised to see that some of them might have to sell out. Um, I think it's cool that, you know, WWE is starting to realize that what might be the best way for them to develop into some of these marketplaces is to acquire models that work rather than models that they're building from the ground up. Because I don't think we need a Japanese WWE. I don't think we need a, a UK WWE or a Mexico WWE. I think it's better if we find that partnership. Uh, at the same thing said, it's really tough to find good partners. And it's really and, and tough. It, and it would be very un-WWE of them to put put a wrestling product on the network that isn't produced by them. Except for all the history they have, all those old footage. All the old stuff, but I mean yeah. new, new content. New content, but I, I have a feeling, at least to me, it feels like the, the old, the new content will be the old content, I guess. 
is I'm not convinced whether or not we're going to see new weekly ICW as much as it might just be the old footage. But uh, it's hard to say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm always intrigued. I, I think at times the Twitter sphere for the UK can um, punch above its weight quite a lot. Uh, in terms of, you know, you get this impression that there's a ton of people watching wrestling and experiencing wrestling when you when you interact on Twitter. And I think yeah. sometimes it can be a little bit... You're going to get killed when this podcast comes out. It, I get killed every time when this podcast has come out. I'm... I'm... <laughs> Straight shooter, Mukigata! <laughs> but, you know, um... for the longest time I couldn't understand why British wrestling was getting so much pub. And I think they've done a good job in the last five years here really explaining it to me and showing me what's happening. And I'm glad I see an organic marketplace. But you've experienced it yourself, where in western New York, you could say there are times where you felt like maybe you were being undercovered compared to other independent companies in the world that had talent and things just because they had a better media presence or, or connection I, to a wrestling scene. I think the more I get in touch with reality, though, the more I, I, I'm, I'm sure that the – the region that I live in isn't really that worthy of coverage. Um, I, I think one of the big things that helps make the UK wrestling scene hot is, is that you've got a, a relatively small geographical area so that it, it's, it's really conducive for traveling fans. You know, fans are really into this and they want to go to shows frequently and are willing to travel uh, you know, distances to get to their shows. You know, whereas you got the United States. Um, I, actually, I was making a, a map for my school to try to put, you know, the logos of super indie promotions ar around the U.S. so that everybody can get an idea of uh, what these promotions are, because believe it or not, wrestling students who, who, who's, whose dream it is to become pro wrestlers don't know what, what Evolve is or PWG is sometimes. Um, so, but you look at that map and there's like, yeah, there's some promotions along the East Coast and there's PWG on the West Coast and there's very little in between because just because geographically the United States is such a bigger country than, than the U.K. That's a great point. I, I think you're very right in that, that you can make a living going town to town in the UK in a way that is almost impossible in the US without air travel, which, you know, vastly increases the, the cost of what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, funny. A more densely populated area. And it's a fascinating also to think, let's go back 20 years and think about what the super indies were and, you know, the feds. And you, you think of something like ECWA or something that was a big deal back in the day and you know it's kind of fallen to the wayside in terms of its its priorities of the major major uh companies these days uh mm -hmm. and so i always wonder too if there's lessons to be learned from that and uh, that's probably a better uh question for uh adam i want to say firestorm but that's not right um just you know some of these indie wrestling experts that are out there the dylans of, of the world a are... adam lash yes adam of, lash that's a power bomb that's exactly who I was thinking of. Um, but, you know, I, I'm fascinated by that intersection between independent wrestling and professional wrestling as a, uh, a cultural, you know, and country and, and regional thing. Um, before the show goes off the rails forever, uh, a couple other things I just wanted to touch on quickly. Uh, this ESPN cutting staff, it's a tough one for me to talk a lot about because I'm not a huge ESPN guy. And so when I hear that the, the number three snooker uh, reporter from the sidelines of the Big Seven uh, soccer league, it got cut. It just doesn't pull on my heartstrings the way it apparently does to a lot of other people. Um, so I'm a, a jaded, awful person for that. But uh, ESPN employs almost 8,000 people around the world, is what I learned, and that the coverage fee is seven dollars uh, per subscriber, which is enormous. It's bigger than any other television channel, and ESPN is mm -hmm. is facing these. E 
enormous hits from the cord cutting. And so people are kind of in this panic mode of what does this mean? Did they overpay for all their TV rights? And, and what are the uh, the future of it? And, you know, there's an Atlantic article called ESPN is not doomed. Um, there's a really good write-up in the Sports Business Daily and, of course, all the other places that were covering it. What was your impression from all this ESPN cuts? So you said that there was a, that really good Atlantic article, but I, I thought it was interesting that they referenced this story from, like, I don't know, about 10 years ago where – ESPN president John Skipper uh, was at a meeting and they were discussing cord cutting. And uh, because it was about 10 years ago, it, it, you know, they assumed that it was just related to the economic recession that, you know, the, the economy is down. So once you know, this economy recovers, these subscriber rates are going to go back up. And I guess not realizing that it was, you know, an almost inevitable inevitability because of the changing in, in media. Um, but yeah, the, the impression I got is that it's ESPN may not be, what it once was but it's still going to be around um and they're reinvesting in digital is one of the big things is that you do kind of see that they are pivoting more and more to try and and deal with that i'm fascinated for the wrestling connection to say you know we've seen espn basically try to use wwe as a way to get attention you know let's mm-hmm. let's get hits let's treat them with kid gloves let's let's see if we can yeah. uh, use this and so it's fascinating to me to basically let's, say – Let's ignore the JBL story. Yeah, like at what point are we sacrificing all semblance of journalism to just be an entertainment network? And yeah. as long as you've always seen them that way, which I – frankly, most sports coverage I kind of do see that way. There's very little you know, that I think of as being hard-hitting you know, independent sports coverage as much as you know, so many sports sites are based around I'm a fan of this team, so I'm interested in covering them. Uh, so it's weird to me with ESPN uh, being where they are, but it, it is curious to say, does this signal that people have just spent too much? And then specifically, are there winners and losers when it comes to sports? So is hockey a loser? Because, you know, basically, if you look at where they're cutting, it's things like hockey coverage and uh, certain other things. And yeah. does this mean probably just... the sports that they don't think are very important? Yeah. Or, or soccer, you know, which, mm-hmm. you know, has been America's next big growing sport for the last 40 years and yet not been. Um, it, it, roller derby, unfortunately, uh, is still <laughs> not getting the, the coverage. It's getting the same coverage as chess these days on ESPN. Uh, which is funny because my brother loves chess. I'm going to go on a personal tangent here. My brother loves chess and oh, chess, chess. And uh, he, uh, my uncle actually used to play chess all the time. My uncle, there's a chess tournament named after my uncle out in uh, San Francisco. Wow. It's ha- coming up this week. If you are in San Francisco this weekend, you should go to the Mechanics Club, check out uh, the the Ray Schult, uh Ray Shut Blitz tournament that's happening this weekend. Um, what's fascinating about chess is that they've finally come into the 21st century where they have like these long games. And so they have these like commentators that live stream the games and take Twitter questions and take emails and like are very funny. And a lot of times you can just imagine how long these games are. And so it's like, like commentary on a game of chess. Oh, it's more than that. The guy will talk about all the movies he saw that weekend. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but do, do they do they hard sell when, when they get towards the finish, though? They do. I mean, what's fascinating is taking the Twitter questions and really saying, okay, here's why he didn't do this. Here's why he could have done this. Here's this angle. Here's uh-huh. what someone else did. But then at the same time, being very jovial and, and off the cuff. And uh, it's fascinating to me to see how much my brother loves this. And uh, he's older than me. And so it's just kind of like this is this is the YouTube for him. This is the uh, the next thing. 
So uh, we have seen even old sports kind of discover a new form of coverage. And uh, it's always fascinating to me, too, with chess sites because there's lots of uh, the clubs and whatnot, the membership styles that they've had to adopt to deal with both demographic changes and changes in, in kind of how people get incorporated where, you know, what does a chess.com membership get you and what's the value of that and why do people do that? And yeah, I, uh, I, I think this like kind of all goes back to the thing you were saying earlier about you, you watch certain things on YouTube that you're not necessarily a customer to. And I think this is something that we see as as media evolves as kind of an, an inevitable pull like from gravity. Yeah, micro niche modernization. Like everybody you know. becomes more and more niche. I, I remember like thinking this, you know, a year or two ago. I mean, like I was getting I was getting really into, you know, reading wrestling media, I guess. And you know, I started subscribing to the observer again and listening to all these wrestling podcasts and the W network was coming out. So I was becoming even more engaged with wrestling. And it's like, you, you become such a niche fan of whatever you're into. Like eventually the podcast, like they start talking about you and like people who are you know, having me on all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden now I'm on a podcast. And I think just as we go further down the line in media, things become more and more specialized. And maybe that means that people become less and less engaged with them in terms of spending money on them and just the, the pieces of money become in smaller and smaller fragments and, and who knows how businesses will deal with that. Well, I think you have to create your own online personalities at a certain point. So I have two Twitter accounts and you have two Twitter accounts because you need a wrestling Twitter account and you need a, I, this is not my wrestling Twitter account. Uh, yeah. I have, it, I have like five Twitter accounts on my tweet deck. Yeah. It's crazy. And so it's that element of like we've almost created compartmentalization of our personality to say mm -hmm. my interest is X. Therefore, to express it, I have to be able to go in this corner because, you know, my 5,000 uh, – I'm sorry, 4,962 followers uh, right now <laughs> on Twitter, they are not interested in my political views or what comedy shows I enjoy. And so I have to have a side one where I do that, and then I have my own brand for improv company that I run and, you know, promoting that. And it's like, I could promote it on my wrestling Twitter, but that would be terrible. I would feel like a fraud to like do that. People watch my account for certain things. And it's tough for me almost sometimes to, to reconcile that uh, with trying to figure out, you know, what is appropriate for me to express? Like, should my Twitter yeah. only be financial or should I talk about how much I love the gambler from WCW? Right. And that's kind of partly why I changed my Twitter handle is to try to, consolidate these things back together and just you know uh and and the, the way things are going for me as a wrestler is like i'm not getting any younger so i might as well and this this uh doing things like covering the, the WWE uh, uh quarterly calls are sometimes even more rewarding than wrestling is so it's starting to take priority it's it's a weird transition and i just wonder i imagine a lot of people are going through this kind of uh, uh juxtaposition of of all these personalities and things and whether we're going to finally enter a world where all media is profiled to be easier for us because you know that's the biggest thing that's come up is netflix adding profiles stopped husbands and wives from fighting so much about you know what content was being recommended hulu's introducing <laughs> profiles and so in some days is it going to be you know we're going to tune into raw and it's going to ask your profile and then it's going to show you the raw show that interests you so you know the the Charlotte Flair matches on it, but the Tamina Snuka matches not. Something different, you know. Yeah, we're all going to be experiencing even more different realities than we already do. Yeah, but not virtual reality. Fortunately, the oh. VR goggles on Vince photo. No, I mean, that's how they'll get our money finally. So, uh, 
we have gone well past our uh, bedtimes here, but uh, we do have a couple uh, WrestleNomics audience questions. Uh, if these go well, we'll keep them in the show. If they don't go well, we'll edit them out. Uh, <laughs> thus, thus creating a reality where only Brandon and I knew what the answers were. That's right. Uh, That's our niche. So I'm going to read the question, and then I'm going to see if you can answer the question uh, as our WrestleNomics expert today. Uh, I have a question. comes from Suplex Bear. It's like a quiz show. Yeah. On the Voices of Wrestling message board, he said, I have a question about ratings and women viewership of WWE. It feels like every time this gets discussed, women and children are lumped together, and wrestling fandom sounds the alarm because younger male viewership is going down. But isn't there a breakdown of women viewers in terms of age? There's a pretty big difference between a woman in her mid-40s and a woman in her teens. And in terms of free time, spending power and whatever engagement metric you want to use. I'll let you speak on this, and then I'll, I'll jump in afterwards. Right. So I guess the main question is, wouldn't we be seeing different uh, viewership from younger women versus older women? Um, and I think when we're talking about television viewership, um, one of the main things, in my opinion, we need to think about is what what age groups are using what kind of media. Older people are watching a lot more traditional TV. Younger people are using less and less traditional TV and are using more and more other forms of, of media. Um, but as far as the, the real metrics that we have from Showbuzz Daily, which is public, uh, we see that I've got this graph here from Raw for January 1st to, up to the Raw Before Mania for 2016 and 2017, just a, a comparison to see how has it declined over you know, this year compared to last. And the general demographic of you know, both genders, 18 to 49, that's down 13%. So that's kind of like the baseline. If you look at younger women, 12 to 34, they're also down 13%. So right at the baseline. So I would say that that demographic, you you would look at it and say it's it's only declining at, at the level of the, the general population. But because that demographic, you would think, would be declining even worse because it's younger and because those younger people are using different forms of media, that you could almost say that well, it, it could be an indication that that audience is is growing when you adjust for. Uh, the baseline decline, and of course, you got older older women uh, from where is it here? From 18 to 49, when you lump all of them together, it's only at a negative two percent. So, so, the, so the conclusion there would be if if 12 to 34 is down 13 percent, 18 to 49 is only down two percent. That would suggest that 35 right. to 49 demographic might actually even be up year over year. Correct? Yes. Yeah. You're you're better at math than me, but I would say so. Yes. And, and that's really intriguing to me because, again, you see the 12 to 34 male demographic is down 34 percent, but 18 to 49 is only down 19 percent, which would, again, mean that that 35 to 49 demographic um, is is up a little bit more. In fact, we know 25 to 54 is only down 10 percent. Um, so I shouldn't even say up as much as uh, women might actually be up above the age of, of 35. Men are just not down as much. Uh tangentially through my my twitter followers and you know people that interact with me i do always sense that the people i'm talking to are usually more in their mid-30s or mid-40s or or that age rather than you know people that are under the age of 20 or 25 um but that's i think self-selecting so i don't know if that's anything more than just a, a random data point uh 
that said, if I you say something about your total Twitter analytics to see, like, I think they will give you age demographics. Yeah, or if I gender. or if I mention Alicia Fox on my Twitter timeline, then it explodes, and yeah. uh, that's that's the one thing. But yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point that someone's making there, which is to say we we group women and children as if they're one one group, but women probably should be split just like men into older and younger, um, and there's a different trend going on there for sure. And one thing that we never will know uh, until they really give us some straight de- uh, data about it is what was the influence of really this big push on, on total divas and women's revolution and everything else that they've done to in some way, supposedly cater more towards women and female fans in wrestling. And uh, whether that's through merchandising, through television programming, through uh, pushing of stars and selection of stars or, um, a concerted effort to reach out to the media outlets that were also speaking more with those women. So, you know, like I always say, Jezebel was never covering WWE, at least in a positive light until, uh, things like E seemed to come along. Yeah. I mean, it'd be an interesting study if all the data was available publicly and the show buzz daily stuff only goes back a couple of years. Um, but it'd be interesting to look at demographics, say a couple of years before total divas and then see what happened afterwards. And then to look at, what happened before uh, Charlotte, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks were called up, and what happened after with with the female demographics to to see if there was any correlation to uh, an an increase or at least a uh, you know an increase when you look at it versus the general audience. All right, let's go to quick hits. Uh, Brandon and Mookie each get about a minute to talk about some subject that we'd put on the list here that we didn't get time to really dig into. I talk about my first one, uh, unusual one, WWE TV deal in the Philippines. Uh, a lot of people would say, what does that have to do with anything? What I thought was fascinating was a, the people that they list as the stars, uh, when they're talking about SmackDown, they specifically listed AJ Styles, New Day, Randy Orton, Charlotte Flair, uh, Nakamura, Kevin Owens, and Naomi, uh, just intrigued me just to see which stars they always choose out of the jumble. And then the last part being, um, they said, SmackDown will be simulcast in the Philippines at tv5.com.ph and sports.tv5.com.ph, which I don't recall other times that they've been doing internet streaming of their television show, uh, short of maybe OSN might have something like that. in, um, And then obviously Canada has its its kind of uh, Rogers programs. But uh, I thought that was really interesting to me. So that was my uh, uh, From Left Park uh, uh, interesting quick hit. What's yours? Uh, let's see. Billy Corgan bought the NWA uh, this past week. He didn't buy any video library to go along with it. I know that's a question that you asked. Um, but there's definitely no no video library involved. I, I I've heard that there's there's something uh, uh, some sort of hang up about the the Paul Bosch tapes that are part of the NWA Classics on Demand library uh, that. What's the name of the previous owner? Bruce Tharp was uh, had put together, um, but yeah, I, we'll we'll see what Billy Corgan's going to do. I don't, did you read the thing, The Observer, that that uh, Dave wrote about this? I did not actually get to read his analysis of the deal yet. No, he, he had a lot of stuff uh, from Dave Ghana in there uh, because Dave Ghana is the former W writer and, and TNA writer who's and he works closely with with Billy Corgan. Um, there's talk that maybe they would do a show late in the year or maybe not until next year. Um, I guess they, they see it as like a brand that would, would connect with older people, but with younger people, yeah, they don't remember what the NWA is anymore, but, but that's, that makes it a fresh brand that we can, 
you know, remarket to people. So who knows? I mean, the, the TNA thing fell apart for him, and he's got a he's got something. I don't know if it's if it's worth much. If it would have been saving yourself a couple, a couple bucks to create a new brand from scratch or what? But Are there, there any NWA promotions still running in up upstate New York? Used to be NWA Upstate and a couple others. Right, no, but they haven't been an NWA member in a in a while. I cannot think of an NWA affiliate near me. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I I think um you know Bruce Tharp at one point I believe was negotiating with WWE over the tape library. He is a lawyer. Uh, he's an interesting guy, and uh, did not work out. And uh, whether that was through stubbornness or or difficulty or just asking prices, I kind of thought maybe this uh, Billy Corgan would be the guy to bring it home in the end, just because maybe he would be more reasonable with what WWE wanted to negotiate. Uh, but I never having seen it, I can't really say whether one guy's more reasonable than another guy. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, always interesting to, to follow. Uh, I think, you know, the financial wheelings and dealings of the NWA uh, over the last 25 years as the, the promotion or the alliance has fallen apart has sometimes been more fascinating than the actual content they've produced within. Um, my next if you want If you want insider history of the NWA, it is in the Suites Observer, of course, because there was a transaction. Excellent. Uh, the other one, <laughs> the other one uh, for me for quick hit was the Vanity Fair article about the National Lampoon. Uh, it was it's an article called "Can Anyone Repair the National Lampoon?" Uh, and I found this to be fascinating reading. And if I was a Billy Corgan, I would read this article because it is about trying to restore a brand to its former glory. And what happens is direct to video movies, lawsuits, crippling debt, and two prison sentences. And I'm not suggesting that uh, someone's going to go to go to jail on this, but it's this whole idea of saying, uh, what happens when you start licensing out your name? What happens when you start doing cash grabs? What happens when certain things work, but you don't figure out a way to monetize them, like creating a college network, but you don't have any way to actually say how many eyeballs are watching it? Uh, what happens when you suddenly transform what you are into something else, and you're considered so lowbrow that now no one wants to do money deal with you? What happens when a big money guy comes in and everyone just tries to figure out how to get money out of that person? And uh, instead of, you know, good creative decisions, everybody just kind of figures out what's the best way to make it good for me. And you surround yourself with playmates and junkies and and uh, uh, fraudsters. So, and, so this article was about World Championship Wrestling? Yeah, and Cato Kalin, no less. Uh, so it's <laughs> – I, I, I say – I find it hard to believe that you can't read this article and feel like it's not a money mark article about professional wrestling. Um, yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. It's over at Vanity Fair. Uh, it's about the National Lampoon. And uh, we might talk more about it in a, a future episode here. Maybe I'll have, have uh, uh, some comedian like Jeff Hawkins on or something. We'll there dig, you go. Dig it up. Uh, do you have another quick hit for me? I'll steal one from your list. Okay. The movie on the life of Vince McMahon. Yeah. What what a trip this was with David Bixon's fan getting a copy of the old yeah. script and tweeting did you, out. Did you ever screenplay. did you ever find a a a copy of this screenplay? Uh, should I should I do what uh, uh Dave and Brian do and say I'll tell you off air? Oh, okay. No, the answer is no. I did not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, uh, amazing script that surfaced uh, with Linda being a waitress in a strip club and talking about butt stuff. Uh, yeah. And uh, in the, also in the Observer this week, uh, there's an, an entire summary of, of, of the script and going sort of 
I don't know, piece by piece through the script and comparing it to the same timeline and actual history, just so you know what really happened at that time. He's, you know, got to keep the record straight. What, what fascinated me about this script was, you know, people were talking about, can we do a live script reading? And yeah, that, ad, it's that actually to put that together. Yeah. There's some, there's... after reading the summary of, of the screenplay, this is like, this, this is something that, that should really happen because this, you know, obviously this, the screenplay is never going to be produced. And you've got, it was written a couple of years ago. It was written at, you know, well before Linda was going to be in the, in the presidential cabinet. And, you know, this is, there's stuff like where, you know, Vince Sr. hates Vince Jr. You know, uh, they use Jim Crockett to be both Jim Crockett and and, uh, Eric, and Eric Bischoff in this in the storyline. There's all sorts of stuff that Vince would never want and that you you, know, you never want out there because Linda's in the cabin now. And, like, this is this has to be a play that's staged somewhere. Well, I was going to say, I'm curious from a legal standpoint whether you can because it's someone else's original work. Yeah. And so... I asked that question. Now, is it – is it just like going out and, and playing a cover song? Like anybody can do a cover song of somebody's copyrighted work, right? Just as a live event, not to be recorded. Well, <laughs> you put yourself <laughs> in a situation there because there's actually a, a fee that uh, bars and whatnot play to to do that. Even karaoke, really? there's fees associated with that if you're really? completely on the, the money and legal and, and stay by the recording artist type thing. Really? Uh, for something like this, when I asked about it, what someone brought up to me is if the life rights to Vince McMahon have actually been sold to a certain person, they might even have a larger claim than the person who is uh, wrote the script, depending on whether or not they sold the rights to the script to a future company. Mm -hmm. um, again, it gets into copyright law and uh, life rights law and all this other you know kind of things that are not really my ballywick. But uh, uh, I I had asked that same question of basically. You mm -hmm. might be able to get away with it if you don't charge admission. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, if you actually make money off of staging this event, I don't know about the legality of reading someone else's work that they themselves created and then making money off <laughs> of it. Uh, I think that's a little bit on the nose. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if it's a uh, bar drinking event where we decide to read it out loud, uh, that would probably work out. And uh, uh, Freedom of speech, we're satirizing a... Uh... A, a famous public figure and a uh, yeah, and a politician. Well, that became part of the question too: is are you transforming the work by reading it out loud and performing it? So, if you put everyone in costume, have you transformed it from what it originally was? And under that, parody and satire might apply in some way because it's a transformative work. So it's similar to you know taking a copyrighted work and then uh, uh, editing it in such a way for an image for a political statement. You could say this is protected work now, and so. There, there was some interesting things to say about it. So maybe if we do it in pig Latin and uh, everyone dresses uh, like Macho Man, uh, we can get away with it. So we'll see. Yes, yes. Well, that brings us to the end of WrestleNomics Radio. We, we have fulfilled our required time allotment. Uh, WrestleNomics Radio is always available on VoicesOfWrestling.com. Uh, the terrific Joe and Rich show uh, who have been taking care of us from the beginning on uh, the interwebs. Uh, terrific stuff going on there. Uh, before I ask your Twitter handle and other things, Brandon, what are you reading or listening to or tweeting about these days that is interesting to you? I, I'm actually, here's a confession. I'm not that strong of a reader. Um, I do my best to, to just read the, the links that you gave me for this show. Um, I, I, I tweet sometimes about Bob Ross painting. Ross, the joy of painting on, on 
I don't spend money, so I'm not that engaged, I guess. But I think he's painting uh, of the of, of the post-apocalypse because he never ever paints any um, any people in his paintings. It's always landscapes and dilapidated barns. So and happy that's little trees. And sometimes I tweet about that. <laughs> I got myself a Switch, and I have Breath of the Wild, the new Zelda game, and I cannot decide how I feel about this purchase I've created. Um, it's it's too big for me. I, I, I like being in a little box, and so it's a little too much for me sometimes. And I'm trying to stop myself from breaking down. I haven't got on the internet yet to try to figure anything out. So we'll, we'll see how far I make it with before I just give up on this and uh, break down and, and start reading spoilers. What system is that for? The was Switch. That no, that's the Switch. Really, yeah. So, see, I don't know. I don't know if I am that hip. Like, what? What is a, a Switch? Is a video game console? <laughs> it's, it's like a super handheld that be, can, can become a, a television video game console. Oh, okay. See, in some ways, I, I, I am, I am younger and hipper, but in some ways, I'm just an old man. Yeah. Well, you're I'm an old man it. doing <laughs> wrestling and getting concussions on the road, but they can come uh, see you at the Ultimate Warpath show, and yes. uh, Al Qaeda will not be there. Warpath will run them off. Uh, no. Yeah. He, he ran them off a long time ago, actually. Thank you, Warpath. Thank you, Warpath. That will be the hashtag for the show. Thank you, Warpath. Uh, there you, go. you can find me on Twitter, at Mukigana. I am an unverified account, but I promise you it is me. Uh, if you want to yeah. hear my ramblings that have nothing to do with wrestling, uh, Improv Mookie, and uh, also IndeedWrestling.com and WrestleNomics.com. I've actually been secretly updating IndeedWrestling.com with uh, tiny little updates like uh, redacted contracts and uh, 1964 WWWF results. True story, things I added this week. Um, but for the most part, that's where you can find me. Brandon, tell us where they can read and, mm -hmm. and read the monetization of wrestling finance. Mm -hmm. If you want to uh, follow Chris Harrington's parody account, you can follow Brandon Thurston, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T-H-U-R-S-T-1 on Twitter. Uh, I've written a uh, report of the Q1 earnings report and conference call uh, on Fightful.com. That was posted, uh, what day is it? Friday morning. Uh, that's today as we're recording this. Uh, and you can check out all the stuff on Fightful.com. They, they're redoing uh, their, their podcast schedule, so you can go check that out. There's always post-Raw and post-SmackDown uh, shows immediately after the shows are over, one, one with Jeff Hawkins if you listen to podcasts on this network. So check that out. Excellent. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to email us at IndeedWrestling.com. No, IndeedWrestling at gmail.com. And uh, we'll, we'll try to address that. Uh, we had some good questions come in this week, and uh, we apologize if we did not get to them all. But uh, we're running long as it is. So talk to you guys in about two weeks. Bye-bye. WWE superstars and WWE superstars in every country in the world. So John Cena is popular in India, in the Middle East, in Latin America, in the U.S. However, we're all human beings, and there's a certain level of ethnocentrism. And when a, a, a local character is really popular, it kind of – pushes up in that country maybe a little bit more, um, but we let the storyline and, and drive kind of who's hot or not as opposed to one specific geography, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt in India. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. 
participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.